everyone. My name's Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is episode 125 of the podcast that is taking you through all of the Marvel comics from the Marvel superhero universe in order from the beginning, from the Fantastic Four number one, all the way up to the end of May 1966. And you know what's cool about this episode? What's that? We're in May, which is Uh month five. Uh-huh. And we're episode 125, which oh. is five times five times five. Oh, I thought you were going to say because Spider-Man's really awesome. but That too, that too. <laughs> but that's not till um, later. But I chose the nerdier reason. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say which is the nerdier reason. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Well, you we don't get cubes very often. You get two cubed is episode eight. Three cubed is 27, four cubed is 64, five cubed is 125. We're not getting out of the cube until 216, so we got to enjoy it while it lasts. Yeah. If anyone else cares out there besides me. Someone's writing this down. You know, you know, who, you know who cares? Who? Those artists who draw like, who do art like Picasso, the cubists. Uh-huh. They care. They're all listening, I'm sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, we are covering in this cubically fun episode. Speaking uh, of five, there's five people on this cover. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, two of them are, are beekeepers. Strange Tales 147 is where we're starting. Then we're going to cruise on over to the Avengers 30, picking up the Fantastic Four with issue 53, and ending on Amazing Spider-Man 39. Dun-dun-dun. So, so, I guess it's my turn, right? One-off significant issue. Insignificant issue. Yeah, yeah. Amazing Spider-Man 39. I mean, it's, it's, it's I just know. one of those throwaway comics. It's not really that important. I get Spider-Man tonight, too. I feel slightly bad about that but there's nothing we can do i'm sorry that's the rules it's just it's just the rules it's the way things are Mm -hmm. the way things are okay that's from babe so (laughs) on the cover of strange tales 147 we have nick fury and dugan and sitwell in the shield entrance barber shop getting razzle dazzled by aimsters which i kind of love it's pretty great Mm -hmm. um open up the comic this is called The Enemy Within. Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., Supreme Headquarters, International Espionage Law Enforcement Division. Uh, having wiped out a secret them laboratory in a hidden swamp where deadly killer androids were being constructed. Like, you got to go get last month's issue of Strange Tales to see for yourself. Nick Fury and his fighting task force return to S.H.I.E.L.D. Regional HQ in the fastest way possible. Script is by Stan Lee. I guess he's back from vacation. Layouts, Jack Kirby. Pencils, Don Heck. Inks, Mickey DeMeo. Lettering, Sam Rosen. Weapons, for Bush Novelty Company. Mm-hmm. Hang on to your hat, especially if you're Dum Dum Dugan. Fury's in danger again as the bad guys take the offensive. But before things get too frantic, remember our credo. Don't yield. Back shield. All right, so they're in like some sort of super high-tech subway train. They arrive at the platform underneath uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. There's some army guys, the ones that have been kind of, you know, floating around, waiting to harass Nick Fury, and they're like, hey, we want to talk to you. He's like, all right, talk to me. And uh, Nick Fury's not exactly giving them respects. So that kind of annoys them. He uh, gets all of his S.H.I.E.L.D. agents from the mission into their rank and file, yells at him a little bit like good old fashioned Sergeant Fury and then dismisses him. And he's like, okay, well you work so hard. You all get 10 days off. He's like, I'm like Charles Xavier here. I gets vacations now. Mm-hmm. And um, 
Sitwell and Dugan trail him as he walks away. And they keep on like asking questions and suggesting things to do. And uh, he's like, y'all just go, just get out of here. Just go. And then he's like, ah, okay, fine. Sit well, Dugan. I've got really important things for you to do. So I'm going to have to cancel your furlough. You've got jobs. And they're like, ah, thank you, sir. And they go and do whatever he told them to go do. Um, okay. Meanwhile, on the helicarrier, Count Bornag Royale is talking to the uh, big wigs and higher ups and suits and military people about how Colonel Fury, he just doesn't dress right. He took my missile model when I first arrived. I was going to demonstrate it for you, and now I can't. My PowerPoint's not working. I can't figure out the video hookups for my laptop. All this bad stuff, it's all Fury's fault. So, like, okay. Um, we need to go see Colonel Fury now. So one of the police military people, I say police because they're wearing blue. I know that military people wear blue, but for some reason I see them and I think police, but mm-hmm. they're just military. I think Navy, does Navy wear blue? Air Force I maybe? I don't know. Navy wears white. So yeah, maybe it's Air Force. I don't know. I don't know either. This is how much I'm about the military. Mm. Um, so well, he- Oh, go ahead. Sorry. He wants to go see Colonel Fury, who is currently sleeping. He goes through a whole bunch of security checks and thinks it's too much, thinks that they're overdoing it. They uh, even give him a scan of his skull because they detected a metal fragment and we'll make sure it's not a hidden transmitter. He's like, it's just a freaking war injury. And so they go find Nick Fury, who's sleeping. And Nick Fury's like, fine, I guess I slept enough. Let's talk. And he's like, I just want you to cooperate more with the organizations that we're trying to work with and S.H.I.E.L.D.'s trying to build relationships like these AIM people. They're really important and they don't want you in command. They're not going to work with us. And Fury's like, oh, y'all want to work with AIM. That makes total sense. I get it now. Okay. We change scene and AIM is talking to Count Bornag Royale and they watch on a monitor as other AIMsters, turns out there really are more than three people this time, other AIMsters raid the shield barbershop. They gas all the workers there and um, Nick Fury gets Dugan and Sitwell. They gun up and they jump into that barbershop and they tackle those AIMsters and Sitwell punches people and Dugan throws his mustaches at them. Um, they try to bonk him on the head with a bottle, but he's wearing a metal helmet because why not? <laughs> <laughs> Underneath his bowler hat. Yep. Um, AIM finally uses some sort of sonic weapon, I think, to knock the shieldsters down. But then the shielders use a bomb to knock the aimsters down. And Sitwell gets the last kick in their face. They rescue the barbershop employees who, by the way, have been consistently drawn as the same three people every time we've been in here. Mm-hmm. So yay continuity. Um, Dugan thinks that the woman in the barbershop is flirting with Sitwell and Sitwell does not have to flirt back. So Dugan decides to take his place and flirt with her instead. She does not like any of this. So we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. Um, and Count Royale is talking to aim about how Nick Fury may have won this skirmish, but he has not won the war. Only Nick Fury suspects the monumental menace of aim. But before long, Colonel Fury will be in no position to affect us or anyone else ever again. Next issue, the end of Nick Fury. So I guess this only goes for 148 issues because yeah, that's we're going to wrap up next. I was, I was really expecting more, but oh well. Okay, one inconsequential point that matters not at all, but that blue guy can't be Navy because they call him General. 
Oh, you were so right. And, and general and is not the a Navy only rank. ranks I know are Navy because of Star Trek. And I just had to bring that up because we like to bring Star Trek up whenever possible on this podcast. But yeah, he'd be an and admiral th- or something. I think could be wrong. I think the higher up officers in the Air Force use the same names as the Navy. Oh, I don't think so, they use army names. So maybe he's army then. Right. Um, and then the other thing is, didn't AIM, maybe you already said this and I just didn't pay attention, but didn't AIM purposely attack the barbershop so that Nick Fury would be a hero and that would further uh, 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 aid their plot in in this whole idea that Nick is not a very good leader because he shouldn't have endangered himself or something yes. like that? That, yeah. that was a plot point that I forgot to mention. Yes. Yeah. So good, good, good call. So, uh, 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 yeah, it's fun, fun, fun issue, I think. Uh I really liked this one. I think we're in a good spot with Nick Fury kind of getting suspected on multiple sides and mm-hmm. having to defend his position against the people who put him in there in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I assume that the big old council of people, probably some of them were the ones who chose to put Nick Fury in charge of S.H.I.E.L.D. in the first place. But that's an assumption. Maybe it's not true. So now reading all these comics in order, which I've never done in my life before, like – if you're just going by strange tales, it's like there's this evil organization of beekeepers called them, but then they have a front of good called AIM. And it's which, finally which is really this bad. issue that it really Yeah. Yeah. And so Nick is on to them, but Shield is apparently not. And mm-hmm. all that is working except the last time we talked about Tales of Suspense, there's a little monkey wrench in that Cap came across the yellow beekeeper. And said, oh, this is an AIM guy when really – Well, it had AIM on the capsule. Oh, that did. So we weren't sure what he thought of the beekeeper because he says he heard of AIM, but he didn't say whether the guy was good or bad. He saved him. And then later the beekeeper is standing next to the Red Skull, but the beekeeper was also under mind control or something. So I guess you could infer that Cap doesn't necessarily believe these guys are bad or he is onto them also on a separate tangent. I feel like Cap and Nick are getting different puzzle pieces uh-huh. that are being put together to be the same picture, and that by now both of them have pretty well got it. Yeah, especially Nick. Captain America might not realize as much, and honestly, the aim them plot is less significant in Captain America's book for sure. Um, but I feel like he's probably got it pretty well figured out. I think once they have that Skype call at the end of the day together, they'll work it out. Yeah. They really should have that Skype call. I think they do that every day, don't they? Why not? I would. Um, a lot of times the Kirby-Don Heck duo is makes them both look bad. But I think in this story, they actually figured out how to gel better somehow because it looks really good. The art was pretty great in this. Uh, mm-hmm. I really like Fury's face. Uh, mm-hmm. I like his scruffy beard. Scruffy beard Fury is my favorite Fury. Fury. Um, but his facial expressions are solid throughout. Uh, um, the different men look like different men, which is mm-hmm. something that Kirby is not always good at doing. And and honestly, yes, it makes no sense. But that dumb dumb helmet thing like made me laugh. Like, I, which yeah. I assume is the point. But that was hilarious. It was hilarious. Like this entire time, for how long? Since like the Howlers and everything, he has this metal <laughs> like helmet thing underneath his hat, his derby. Right, and why 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 is he wearing that? And you're right. How long has he been? Has it been every day? Has it been every day since 1942? I don't know. <laughs> and I guess the answer is, is when someone cracks him on the head with a bottle, it doesn't work. Right. Hey, why not? I really liked how Fury was being cute with Dugan and said, well, and how they didn't really want to leave him behind. And so he had to like come up with stuff for them to do to keep them around. 
oh, he actually felt bad about hurting uh, Sitwell's feelings, which I would yeah. find somewhat shocking because normally he doesn't care at all about slamming people. Right, right. But I think Sitwell's not the same kind of person he's used to dealing with in terms of personality. All the howlers, you know, they just take it and they like it and they give it back. Mm-hmm. And Sitwell's a lot more earnest and young. So I don't know. It was kind of nice that Nick actually had a conscious conscience a little bit about that. Um, the whole thing about the general not understanding security uh-huh. just doesn't make sense to me. Like mm-hmm. Nick Fury is doing so many things right. And of all the people who should understand him, the generals should be the ones who understand him. Right. Cause they're way up there too. Right. Politicians, business suits, all those people. Sure. Whatever. Their interests are not the same as military interests, but Nick Fury is operating a branch of the military mm-hmm. and he is the head guy of that branch who answers to nobody except the president of the United States. Right. So yeah, he gets, he gets some security. He doesn't want to bring bombs on a floating fortress in the air. You get the, you get the feeling that since this is so new that maybe the other branches just aren't on board with shield yet. Oh, you think it's like a jealousy, maybe? Maybe. Like if all of a sudden this new branch that only answers to the president shows up and undermines Army, Navy, CIA, all this, you know, like wouldn't they be a little uh, upset about it? Right. Maybe. I don't know. Or it's just this idiot whose name I don't even know. They just call him General, I guess. General and something. And Royale, mm-hmm. his, although he has all of these complaints, the one that he seems to harp on the most is how scruffy looking Nick Fury is. I know, is. right? We find his very appearance offensive. The idea of America's highest priority counter-espionage leader going around in his shirt sleeves, unshaven, unkempt, and making a mockery of your own language. <laughs> Shocking. <laughs> it's just it's, like... It's pretty dumb, but it's also 1966, so maybe it goes... Right. It, it has uh, more weight to it back then? I don't know. I mean, these days, scruffy is a style, so... Right, right. But I think back then, if you didn't shave... I don't know. You now, something they do say in here that might go away is that AIM is a branch of them. Right. And I feel like that's not it's, something that sticks, but I could be wrong. I think it should be more like them, DBA, AIM, you know? Like, I don't know. AIM is the public face mm-hmm. that's getting away with murder, and them is the nefarious behind the scenes that, like, back the Red Skull and do bad robots and stuff. I like that. I but, still think AIM is a really silly name for your own organization, but it's better than them, but I'm sorry. I said the wrong thing. I think them is a really oh. silly name for your well, organization. Well, AIM is a great, I guess AIM's okay as an acronym, but like mm-hmm. even that might be hard to get into sentences. I don't know. Okay. Do you want to talk about the woman thing? Cause I think, yeah, we get to the barbershop. It's pretty great. Dugan's shield sixties <laughs> suit. I love cause uh-huh. he's just so friggin dapper, uh-huh. which is, not really in tune with his feeling of 20 years earlier, but also I can see that guy aging into this guy. Mm-hmm. We get to the last page and there's just so many weird aspects. I feel like every <laughs> panel adds something else. Yes. Just makes it worse. <laughs> so do you want to act it out? Uh, okay. Or, or I, I, I could just read it, but. Okay, go ahead. Read it. Okay. So um, they're untying the uh, people. And uh-huh. Sidwell is untying the woman, and Dugan's in the panel, and he's all blushing as she looks at him, and she says, yes, there's a complex scheme about to get rid of Colonel Fury one way or another. Isn't it taking you an unusually long time to untie that knot, mister? 
which, mm-hmm. you know, okay, he's flustered. Maybe he actually is flustered because she's a woman. Maybe mm-hmm. he has a hormone. He's having trouble. Whatever. Mm-hmm. What's the rush, lady? That perfume of yours is probably has him plum hypnotized. Uh-huh. That's dumb, dumb Dugan. Yep. Some chance you heroes never even noticed that I'm not exactly a boy. That's the woman. Yeah. So she's <laughs> annoyed that he's taking too long. And then she's like, y'all didn't even notice my femininities. So it's weird. So he is young and she's pretty and he's trying to untime her and he probably doesn't have a lot of experience untying women, right? And being that close to them, right? <laughs> and being that close to them. So he's nervous. And then, of course, Dum Dum, because it's S.H.I.E.L.D. and he's Dum Dum and that's how they treat the Howlers and stuff. He has to give them a hard time. So that kind of works. But then she's like, yeah, you've never noticed that I'm not male. Right. After she complains that he's noticing that she's not male. So does she want him to notice? Does she not want him to notice? It's written very odd. And then the next panel, mm-hmm. Dum Dum leans in for a kiss while she's still half tied and can't fight back or dodge. Uh-huh. Uh, don't you believe it, doll? You wouldn't catch me doing this to a guy, would you? Which, uh-huh. you know, leave the, you know, 60s homophobia things to the yeah. side for a moment. Yeah. But she lean- he leans in and kisses her on the cheek uh-huh. to assure her that he definitely knows that she's a woman. And that's weird. Uh-huh. And then she... And- she chases him. She chases him. And he's like, cut it out. Stop. For the love of Peter, I was only kidding. Well, I'm not. Just wait till I catch up with you, which that's all normal. He just leaned in and kissed her. She's mad. That's fine. And then they say, why do you think she's angry, Sitwell? She wanted the kisser to be you. Yeah. And it's just like, no, she didn't. Or if she did, I didn't get that impression. <laughs> that's weird. Well, do you think she was picking so, on him yeah. because she was flirting with him? Like she I mean, looks, she looks angry, but you could read it a different way. Like that's taking a long time. Isn't it hubba hubba or something? But she if looks her upset. facial features were different, I would see that. But she does look upset. Yeah. If she had like a wry side smile or something, Hey, it's taking yeah. a, yes. it's taking you finished to untie that, isn't it? I mean, yeah, that's what it even noticed. I wasn't a boy. And he's like, I, 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 I did. I did notice, you know, that would be cute. Yeah. But no. Like if they gave her a smile instead of a frown, this whole scene would have worked, I guess. But instead, I actually, I'm still not saying it would work because right. Dum Dum is still being uh, kind of icky there. But yeah, but he's let's, also let's, comical, and he also lets her beat him afterwards. So I don't know. I don't hate him more or anything. I guess. But I mean, this is this is definitely a sexual assault. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah. Makes him with a with a good old heaping spoonful of homophobia. Uh huh. So, and misogynistic comments, just to, you know, in case assaulting wasn't misogyny enough. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's weird. And the black guy is gray. Okay. And the black guy is still gray. They yeah. did that correctly. I think one issue, maybe two, but then they forgot. But yeah, had a lot of fun with this one. Weird mm-hmm. ending, but mm-hmm. I really liked it. Should we go to Dr. Strange? Yes. Master of the mystic arts from the nameless nowhere comes... Kalu, and you know it's Kalu because it has two U's. I think that sounds like three, but I could be. It could be. Even in New York's famous, fantastic, far-out Greenwich Village, where every other passerby is a colorful, kooky character, the dramatic figure of Doctor Strange still receives its share of startled glances on those rare occasions when the mysterious master of the mystic arts ventures forth in full view of the city's teeming populace. So it is on this fateful night of nights, and this is the start of a wondrous new journey into the shadowy world of the supernatural script for the first five pages, 
is Stan Lee, our vacation and sorcerer. I guess he left in the middle of this issue. Script, last five pages, Denny O'Neill, our sorcerer's apprentice. Art, Billy Everett, our peerless prestidigitator. Lettering, Sam Rosen, our naive necromancer. Amulet polisher, Irv Forbush, our stowaway. When you were a kid, did you pronounce it Greenwich Village or was that just me? Yes. yes. Okay, great. <laughs> and that village was in Marvel Comics a lot. So I read a lot of Greenwich Village back in the day. Yeah. Um, realizing how many l- letters and names like get dropped in English just like in French mm-hmm. is weird. Because, yeah, yeah, Greenwich becomes Greenwich. Worcester becomes Worcester. Mm-hmm. Or if you're in actual Massachusetts, you got to say with the Massachusetts accent, it's Worcester. Worcester. Yeah. Okay. So, um, Dr. Strange is going shopping. He's just going to the corner grocery store, pick up a few things. And the guy's like, um, so you still haven't paid your previous bill. I was like, oh, okay. Well, I'll have, I'll have Wong give you the money. Just add this to my account and we'll settle up. Like, okay. Mm -hmm. And, uh, while he's doing that, some guys walking with guns, but Dr. Strange has made himself look like a normal person. So they don't think that he's strange. They just think that he's a normal person. But he sends them into a weird dimension where they're like surrounded by all this Ditko Wazanazis, except it's not Ditko, it's Denny O'Neill. No, sorry, it's Billy Everett, excuse me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he brings them back and says, okay, so you need to stop scaring everybody. And they run out and turn themselves into the police because they're too scared to live. Um, everyone else is like, what happened to those horrible men? Who are you? And Dr. Strange is like, I guess I should leave because I don't want people to wonder who I am. Um, he goes back to his home and says, hey, Wong, why didn't you pay the grocery bill? And Wong's like, ain't got no money. And Dr. Strange's like, why don't we have any money? Go to the bank account, get money. Wong's like, yeah, I did that for the last grocery bill and the rent. And we have nothing left. He's like, oh, fine. I guess, you know. Oh, also, he's going to have to, (laughs) some city inspectors come in and- The Doctor Strange mansion has been raided to be condemned. So if it doesn't get it up to code, in the next six months, they're going to run it down. <laughs> so that's great. Yeah. So he's like, fine, whatever. He goes to Wong and says, can you just go to the vault and get some jewels and cash them or something, pawn them, get some money? Wong's like, okay, I'll take care of that. And Doctor Strange's like, I just, I, I, I got other stuff to do. I don't want to deal with groceries and money. Um, I'm going to go read these magic books. Yeah, reading magic books. Oh, wait, what about Baron Mordo? Maybe maybe he's not still imprisoned. So he goes to his crystal ball, and sure enough, Baron Mordo's still imprisoned, and Baron Mordo can tell that Doctor Strange is spying on him, so he beats on the door, I hate you, Doctor Strange, I'll get you back! And Doctor Strange says, nope, and he leaves. Um, he checks on Clea, and her hair is still doing crazy things. Um, we also get some recap on the whole saga of Doctor Strange and Clea which is pretty great. Um, and Dormammu and the mindless ones and the fight with eternity and how he doesn't really know what happened in the fight with eternity. Like it was not just confusing to us. It was also confusing to him. So um, then he puts all of his magic stuff away. He's like, okay, so I don't want to keep cashing in all my jewels. Cause I run out of jewels. Eventually I should earn some money. <gasps> there was that one time where they wanted me to like do magic in nightclubs. I'll call that guy. So he calls the guy and the guy's like, yeah, um, 1965 is over. It's 1966 now. And they don't really care about doing magic in nightclubs anymore. So uh, we don't got nothing for you. 
And Doctor Strange is like, fine, whatever. And then the Agent One calls. Hey, Agent One, what's up? Agent One's like, hey, how you doing? Um, I should thought you should know that Kalu is coming back, and he's like the worst thing you've ever seen. And he's on his way. He, you could, you, you might not even be able to beat him. And it's almost too late because he's really like almost at your house. But we do have time for a story. Can you sit down and get some milk and cookies? <clears throat> he's Professor X, even with the hairstyle. He really is. He really, yeah. really is. Wow. I don't know what it I is with um, Yeah. This is almost a clip show, right? With, uh, with really extended flashbacks and like all the like. Well, definitely it's a setup. So this mm-hmm. is in that sense, I actually was fine with it in a way, like a little breather between that really long story and a whole new creative direction, kind of. Mm-hmm. But I got to say, I really miss Ditko's art. Not that Everett sucks or anything, but he's just so much more straightforward. It was almost jarring to look at this splash page and just see like a regular looking uh, Doctor Strange walking down the street. I kind of liked that, actually. I I, I don't know how much of this how I don't know how far you can run with that ball, but uh-huh. the I, the idea of putting Doctor Strange's strangeness mm-hmm. right next to the totally weird normality of the '60s, yeah, I just kind of like that. I kind of dig that. But I just mean like even the style of how he draws them is just like kind of Superman-y. and mm-hmm. you know Ditko had a much more strange aura to Doctor Strange, right? You know, and this guy just looks like a dude in a Doctor Strange outfit. So I, I guess you know we've had artists change on this show before, but this one seemed the most jarring to me that I can think of. Just I can see that. Ditko see that. to Bill Everett. It's like a big difference in style. And Bill uh, Everett's not usually the one we think of because he's done like Namor and stuff. So like, yeah. And Daredevil. I, I think him more of like big uh-huh. and the, the, the layouts in this are really small, mm-hmm. you know, like small figures, narrow focus, where mm-hmm. I think it's like, you know, Bill Everett, I think, Namor, biceps, you know, pecs, going out to do stuff, whatever. But I mm-hmm. guess Bill Everett did do the first issue of Daredevil, which is also more personal. So I don't, I don't mm-hmm. know if I'm just talking about my butt or what. But not magic. He's more of a well, I guess Fighter. Submariner could be magic in a way. But any Atlantis and all that. But um, I think this is like also maybe the first time we've had like what seems like kind of a filler story in that. It's not really a filler, but it's like, let's take the time to catch anybody up who hasn't been reading the last 20 issues. Right. I mean, Ditko sure had a lot of one-off issues that could be considered filler from like a, you know, is this part of the plot or is this just like in between type right. stuff? Yeah, yeah. Um, but this does feel like, okay, new creative direction, so new people. Here we go, and, Dr. Strange. And we haven't really had a lot of flashbacking as a technique for story telling either they do the caption thing a lot right and honestly getting all of that recapped and put together was nice i appreciated yeah. that yeah i thought it was cool it's like you have a little light beginning with the whole robbing the store which was fun because he was in no real danger and we knew that and then you get all mm-hmm. this recap of all the stuff we just read that made us you know cross our eyes is now in summarized in three pages and then my only issue is like is kalu going to be any different than dormammu because it seems kind of the same, like in the sense that he's the greatest thing in the world that you can't beat. He said the exact same thing about Dormammu. Right. And so I'm hoping he's interesting. All we get is a pair of eyes. Yeah, I, I forgot to mention, or not forgot, I just didn't mention that he's like peeking in the window mm-hmm. while Doctor Strange and Ancient One are sitting down for a story. So we get little glowy eyes. So I have no idea who 
uh, as a Marvel, longtime Marvel reader, I have no idea who Kalu is. So I'm suspecting that it's not a big deal, but we'll see. He does mention, Ancient One mentions that it's the guy who taught the Ancient One. Oh, wow. So he's a human, maybe. Maybe. I'm pretty sure he said, I think he said, this is the guy who taught me back in the day, and now he's evil. Of course. And then the Ancient One taught Mordo. So there's a lot of evil going around. Right. It's like grandparents. Skips Um, a generation. I've mentioned a few times on the show that I'm also doing a Marvel read-through that's just like a little ways ahead of this. Mm -hmm. That gap has been narrowing. Like, when I read this issue on my own, Uh within a day or two, we read issue 132 for the show. Uh-huh. And in that issue, Doctor Strange shuns Common Cash. He has, uh, I think he takes a, a cab and like doesn't bother to pay the guy. Or Wong says we're out of milk. And he's like, I don't care about stuff like that. You, I, I, you go take care of that. Mm-hmm. Um, like he's above that sort of thing. And here he is doing the shopping himself. Well, it kind of makes no sense that he's above that sort of thing. Because he lived a normal life the first 35 years of his life. He knows mm-hmm. what money is. He knows how it works. He's not like a thousand-year-old ancient one. Right. So this feels more realistic uh-huh. that he handle, he lets Wong do most of the stuff maybe, but he also does it too. Uh-huh. Whereas, you know, back in, I guess, 14 issues ago, because this is 147, mm-hmm. that was 132, 15 issues ago, mm-hmm. he's like, I am above normal mortal concerns. Well, and that's really boring. I actually appreciate that he's walking down the street, like you said, and I appreciate that <laughs> they're giving him some Peter Parker problems with the money and the inspector. And it's like, oh, this is hoping that like he's going to have a real life here soon in some form or another. Because if he's just above it all the time, floating in these worlds with no perspective, that's just going to get old. I remember in uh, Tales of the JSA episode over on the Two True Freaks Network, they were talking about Dr. Fate. Uh-huh. And how Dr. Fate's like, you know, I'm actually not even human. I'm a powerful mystic force in a human body. And I was like, oh, way to be completely unrelatable. <laughs> but isn't he human so, when he takes the helmet off or no? I don't yeah, know. yeah. When he has the helmet on, he's Nabu and like right. else is a completely separate mind. Yeah. So you focus on the human part and what a pain in the butt it is to also have to be Nabu sometimes. Right. That's what makes interesting stories, right? Right, right. Kind of like focusing on Bruce Banner and his suffering when he becomes the Hulk. Wait, no, no. They're they're not doing that. Uh, never mind. Yeah. Or focusing on being Doctor Strange so that whenever you're Doctor Strange, you don't have to be Doctor Strange. Right. Oh, oh, we're using our fake names. Okay. Right. <laughs> Good call. Good we're call. using our made-up names. That's what he said. Yeah. Uh, I'm Spider-Man. <laughs> so, yeah, this is this is all right. I think I may have liked it more yeah. than you, but um, well, I mean, it's just a setup, so it's hard to get too invested in it. But I think they did right. a good job of setting it up and giving the new readers a chance to catch up. Is it time to avenge on the Urs? It is a time to get to our second story or our second comic tonight. We've done three stories: Avengers number thirty, frenzy in a far off land with a bunch of floaty heads. Um. No caption because, no, this isn't brand new. Another landmark issue offering additional proof, if any, is still needed that a Marvel magazine is truly an inspired example of contemporary literature. I'm sorry I read that. That had nothing to do with plot. Anyway, a fabulous far-out fantasy forcefully told at fever pitch by Stanley writer Don Heck artist Frank Giachoia Inker. Frank G. Inker. Sam Rosen letterer and Irving Forbush arbitrator. Jacoya. Jacoya. Um, Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch are hanging in their pad, and they're both lamenting that their powers are becoming less. And they decide maybe it's becoming less because 
we left our country and our country is the source of our powers. Maybe we're not even mutants. We should go back home and see if we get stronger. Also, by the way, Quicksilver is walking around wearing Goliath's cybernetic helmet for no reason, but it's cool. Uh, speaking of Goliath, he's Mr. Pouty Pouty because he's stuck at 10 feet and he's sitting in an oversized chair in his room and he's ignoring Jan who's knocking on the door and wanting him to let her in. He uh, notices a newspaper and it's got an article about Professor Dr. Anton, Professor Dr. Anton, his college professor, um, who is now researching artificial growth of body cells. So he's like, hey, I'm having body growth problems. Let's go find Dr. Anton. So he gets on a Tony Stark uh, cool speed racer thing and he flies off. Now the story goes back and forth between the two, but I'm just going to keep following Giant Man because it's easier. So Giant Man goes to, where does he go? I can't remember. A place. Um, South Was it South America? He flies Something somewhere. Something like that. It's like South America. Let's say that. And he goes to look for Dr. Anton, and he sees that the guy's place has like, been pilfered and knocked over. And as he's trying to investigate, like these five guys come out of nowhere and uh, tackle him. And they're all dressed in crazy Kirby outfits and stuff. So they're bad guys. But that doesn't stop him from fighting back. And he beats them up. And he grabs one of them. And he says, I'm looking for Dr. Anton. And you're going to take me to him. He's like, no, I can't because he's being held in the forbidden land. And he's like, I don't care if it's forbidden. Take me there now. So the guy does, and it's down this, you know, chasm or chasm or however you want to pronounce it. And it um, is South America. It is South America. Okay. So they get deeper, deeper into this trench, and it becomes basically uh, the second Indiana Jones movie. It's got like this fiery pit and the guy with the crazy hat, and he's calling himself the keeper of the flame. And he's talking to all his loyal subjects about how, like, we have to keep this flame flamey. And no one's allowed to know about the flame. And we found this guy, Dr. Atten, here. And the doctor's like, no, I'm just doing research. I don't care about your flamey flame. He's like, you lie. And we're going to kill you. And Giant Man's overhearing all this as he's standing there, like, above them all in a recessed, you know, panel or something so they can't see him. And he's like, wait, you've got it all wrong. That's my professor. And I'm going to rescue him. And so they all attack him. And he fights back. But all of a sudden, everything goes dark. And Giant Man or Goliath is like, what happened? And he gets reached out by this dude named Prince Ray. That's R-E-Y. And he's like, follow me and I'll, I'll, you know, I'll rescue you and stuff. And meanwhile, the other guys are like, only one person has the power to use black light like this. And that's Prince Ray. So he's now a traitor and not one of us anymore. Let's get him. Uh! And Prince Ray leads Goliath down this path and promises things like, you know, you got to help us and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, cut back to the Avengers. What are they doing during all this? They, uh, Wasp is pouty that, like, you know, he left without saying goodbye. Cap's like, I'll give you something to do. You, me, and Hawkeye need to just go around the city looking for Black Widow, Power Man, and Swordsman. I'll take a car. You fly around. And Hawkeye, you can swing and stuff. So Wasp in Wasp form overhears a guy at a bar talking about where Black Widow might be. So she goes back and reports it to Cap. And Hawkeye is in this new state of emotion where he actually feels like pitiful and laments all the times he's been mean to Cap. Because if we remember last issue, Cap was super, super cool to him about like letting Black Widow go, even though she was a bad guy. And so now he's totally rethunk. Uh, what Captain America is all about. And so he's like, Cap, let me prove that I'm better than you think I am. Let me go after those three alone. 
Um, I really need to do this. And Cap's like, okay, if that's what you need to do. And so Hawkeye goes to the place where the wasp, you know, heard they were at. He crashes through the window. They get in a big fighty fight fight. Hawkeye holds his own, holds his own pretty well, considering at some point Black Widow shoots him, even though he thinks like she shouldn't. So he punches her back and decides, you know what, she is a villain after all. He and Swordsman in particular really get into it because they used to be, you know, teacher and student. Um, but he defeats Swordsman, so he feels real good about that. But as he's feeling really good about it, Power Man grabs him from behind and is about to crush him to death when he is saved by Black Widow. And she's he's like, what? What would you save me? She's like, I don't know. I know that I'm supposed to be for the Reds and they did something to my brain to make me want to follow them, but I just cannot get over how hot your jawline is. And so can we be lovers and can you believe me? And he's like, I'd like to think I can. And then we cut to Wasp who's watching the news and the news is about how Dr. Anton is missing and she sees the Tony Stark glider on the news and goes, that's where Giant Man went. So they're all going to hop on a something and go help him, hopefully. The end. The end. Lots happening. In this, or two yeah. different stories going on, I guess. They're starting, they're, they're basically giving almost every character like a subplot. Uh-huh. Except we just lost two Avengers. There's that. And that's kind of, I mean, it, it takes them off the page, which is a little bit annoying, but that's, that's a story point for them. They're going to go figure out themselves. Um, so they're officially now, gone, I think. Because, I mean, it could just be like for one issue and then they're back next issue, but they're not even on the cover. Of next issue? Of this issue. So it's, Oh, yeah. It, well, they're in those first two pages and yeah, they're gone. And they're gone. Um, I don't remember exactly how long they stay gone, if it's just one issue or what, but I know it's not long because okay. they're both still with the Avengers for a lot of the first century of issues. I was going to say, if this is like a permanent or semi-permanent situation, that's a really bum way to get rid of them. Yeah. It, it also makes me wonder if, does that mean they intentionally left Wanda off the table a little bit last issue? Uh-huh. Or are they realizing they did that and now they're turning that into a story? <laughs> you know what I also wonder is if the, the dialogue guy got this whole Quicksilver wearing Goliath's old cybernetic helmet thing wrong. Like, don't you think really why he's wearing that is because it helps him augment his speed that he's losing? Oh. And the line should be something like, Tony Stark helped me with develop this so I can run fast still or something. Because he just wears it the entire three pages for no reason. Maybe it's hard to turn take off. It does look like his old helmet, though. It's missing the blue covering. Yeah, that's but, true. Um, it's just weird. It it's like, is, I found Iron Man's underwear, and he just walks around wearing it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Having discovered something that might help his speed might have been a – would have contributed more to the story. Yeah, but then he doesn't use his speed, so I don't know if that was really the point of it either. But So Goliath's powers are acting up. The mutant's twins' powers are acting up. Actually, we don't know that they're twins. The mutant siblings' powers are acting up. Um, and we get Hawkeye and Natasha. They're following stuff here. Um, the Wasp's main story point is to worry about her mm-hmm. beloved, which isn't mm-hmm. the greatest thing for her. Getting but boring. Yeah. Yeah. At least it's something. She has a voice in the issue. And, I, and she's and getting I, some cool power scenes. I'm fine with it at, at this particular point, because why wouldn't she worry about him? But- Mm-hmm. If this is going to go on for 30 issues, that'll suck. Right, right. But I think one thing they may be starting to realize, or it may just be like they're experimenting and it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. If you're going to tell stories about a team, you got to tell stories that focus on the members of the team. Mm-hmm. Either doing that with subplots or, you know, concentrated A plots. Mm-hmm. You, 
you you got to make the team. Feel, the only person who doesn't have something going on in this series is Captain America, and he has his own series. That's right. Yeah, Hawkeye's had a little growth spurt here, mm-hmm. which I thought was cool because I was getting tired of him being uncool all the time. But oh, there was something else I was going to say about the Wasp. Um, on page three, uh-huh. you know, she's trying to knock on Henry's door. He's not responding because he's being mopey man, which you know for good reason. Uh-huh. But her reaction is, "It's no use. He's locked me out of his heart." But I'll never stop loving him. Never. Uh-huh. And, you know, I really think that's true. Yeah. Uh, there's this one moment after Secret Invasion when it became evident that uh, Hank had been a scroll mm-hmm. for some undisclosed or unspecified, rather, period of time. Mm-hmm. And Jenna asked him if the Hank who hit her had been a scroll. Mm-hmm. And it looked like she was ready to go back to him if that uh-huh. had turned out to be the case. Ah. Uh-huh. Now, I don't know what that says about their their hookups in the 2000s, like during, uh, what was it, the Busiek run? But at least it's, you know. Well, and you can love somebody and not be married to them. You can still love right. them and not be together. But uh, I don't I know. I think what, she does love him. I don't know what uh, Scarlet Witch's and Quicksilver's power problem is. I guess we'll find out. But I do like the theory is like a Captain Britain thing, which I don't think they'll figure out until the 2000s or something. That Captain Britain is tied to his country for his powers. Um, I think that does come out in the Alan Moore stuff from the 80s. Oh, okay. I could be wrong. It's been a while since I've read that. But I read all of I read all of pre-Excalibur Captain Britain at one point. Oh, wow. That must have been not um, easy. A lot of it was pretty cool. The 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 weekly pre-Alan Moore stuff was just Bronze Age and whatever. And then Alan Moore comes along, or I should say Alan Grant comes along. Mm. Um because Alan Moore is not the only writer during that period, but it becomes a it becomes an iconic book at that point. Cool. Um, the dudes are really being dudes Which, on page uh-huh. four. Power Man and oh, friggin' gosh, Swordsman. Yeah. I just skipped over that, but yeah, they get in a fight over her. Yeah, yeah. Over the right to flirt with the woman who has shown no interest in either of them. <laughs> on the other hand, that is one of her main powers. Is that. You know, that is true. She's the Black Widow, so she can attract any guy she wants to. I'm sure I could definitely see Scarlett Johansson's Black Widow using the uh, the half mm-hmm. smile mm-hmm. to like get the guy to like do what she wants every now and then because mm-hmm. that's one of her ploys. That's one of the things she uses. And she's like, "They're fighting over me." Well, let them. It's good practice because we're gonna have to fight the Avengers soon anyway. <laughs> she's not wrong. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Page six. Uh-huh. They're talking about what they're going to do to find Hank. And the Wasp is like, shall we use plan S by <laughs> separating? I forgot about that. Okay. What I want that to be, I want uh, that to be an inside joke that they have. Yes. Like they all know that lettered plans are corny. Uh-huh. And they were probably like joking about it last week. So she's uh-huh. all bring back, you shall use plan S. S and they're like, oh, Jan, come on. Yeah. We already did plan C for cornball. <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome if that was a running gag, actually. That's the way it is in my head. She has a new outfit, by the way. Yeah, just looking at that way. I might know she has a new, uh, new cowl. Mm-hmm. She doesn't uh, things. It. She doesn't have her antennae anymore, unless when she's small, maybe she does. Nope. Or the, or the little pointy thing in the middle. <laughs> or the I pointy thing. Is her body mostly the same? Her, it her, seems the her, same, yeah. It's just that yeah. red, red and black tunic-y thing. I asked Lily what she thought of her new cowl, and uh, she said she looks like Captain America's sidekick, Sergeant Wales. <laughs> the wizard. <laughs> oh, yeah, the wizard. 
Oh, you know that little bit where she's in the bar, though? I didn't even see her in the first panel. In the second panel, oh, like, what yeah. is that behind her? That's the cigar. That's the cigar. Oh, wait, there she is by the glass. Look at that. That was really that was cool. That was pretty cool art. Little art trick. Man, Hawkeye took on a Hawkeye character, a Daredevil character, and a Superman character and did pretty good. Who's a Superman character? Well, Power Man is like crazy oh, yeah, powerful, yeah, yeah. isn't he? He's Wonder Man, essentially. And Wonder Man is Wonder Man, not Wonder Woman. But the same idea. Mm-hmm. Bulletproof, super strong. I don't know if he was going to win because Black Widow had to help him in the end, but like he got really far. Yeah. All by himself. And I do think it's a little odd. I mean, I get the point dramatically, but it's a little odd that Cap's just like, yeah, sure, go ahead and go after him by yourself because you need to do this. Like, I don't know. Because I'm like, are you sure you need to do this? I think we should help you. That's, yeah, a, that's asking, a lot of people. It's, it's one of those tropes that comes up every now and then in stories. Uh-huh. The, the guy's like, I must have this, you know, for myself to work out my emotions. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. you're going up against three supervillains. Yeah. It's like Wolverine has and to one kill. One of them you have hangups over. Has to kill the entire Brotherhood of Evil Mutants all by himself just to prove that he means something. Right, right. Yeah. I don't want to get my hopes up for Hawkeye being a decent guy now. But it <laughs> seems like he is. Well, I, you know, I've been a Hawkeye fan before we started reading this stuff, and he certainly at some point gets better. So I'm oh, hoping yeah, yeah, this yeah. is the turn. He's never no, like. I feel like I've been hoping that for a while. <laughs> he never toes the line, which is one of the things we like about him. Like, for some reason, archers are always like the guy on the team that tells you what you don't want to hear. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's just a. I don't know why that is. Is that a Robin Hood thing or something? I don't know. Or they're just copying each other, Green Arrow and Hawkeye. But Hawkeye is way less obnoxious about it. But yeah, I, 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 I'm waiting for the turn from Hawkeye's jabs. To go from hurtful to playful. Playful. But he still should question leadership all the time because that's his character. Mm-hmm. Um, he should still give uh, former villains a break because that's his character. I don't know. Um, page 18. What was on page 18? 16, 17. 18. Um, oh, yeah. Hawkeye takes down Swordsman. And I was like, hey, look, it's yeah. Anakin and Obi-Wan. I'm free of you at last. That was cool. The circle is now complete. You are the master no longer. Now he, just, at last. now he just has to take down Trickshot, and I have to figure out what the difference is between Swordsman and Trickshot in his origin. That was Trickshot. What was Trickshot? He took down the Swordsman. Huh? Oh, I see what you're saying. I'm sorry. Yes, my brain went someplace weird with that. You're right. He still has Trickshot in his future. Who is exactly the same as Swordsman, right? Like, I can't figure out the difference in their origin, but I guess we'll find out I, someday. Yeah, I, I don't even know Trickshot. That's... It Something seems like a guy a who of. trained him and turned out to be a villain and shocked him and, because he was a villain. So it's like, wow, that's just swordsmen. And they're both purple. But one of them has arrows and one of them has a sword. That is weird. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I guess theoretically somebody taught him how to be an archer before he there went. There you go. So he just fell for it twice? Because mm-hmm. <laughs> he's, he's Hawkeye. <laughs> Let me teach you how to pick this lock with these arrows. Someday you might need that for some reason. Why? I don't know. Just might. So I really like about two thirds or more of this issue, mm-hmm. but I am not hot at all on the keeper of the flame stuff. No, it's not as bad as I remember. And I think I'm remembering more of it from next issue, but everything but that is really solid Avengers here. Totally. Probably the most solid we've had. Uh, and this is issue 30. We've now had as many issues without the original team as Ooh, with. Sweet. Except some of the original team is back. Right, yeah. And I think we just are not into Hank Pym anymore. I think we've lost 
Which is funny because I know that nobody ever likes Hank Pym, but I always wondered when that happened. And it happened sooner than I thought. For you? For me. Before he even left his own book, I was like, right. I was done with him. He was an arrogant, annoying SOB and I don't like him anymore. And now here he is being an arrogant, annoying SOB and he's part of this plot that we don't really find all that interesting. Well, it's funny because my kids who haven't even read hardly any of this stuff, they prefer Hank as Ant-Man so much more than Giant-Man. Yeah. And I don't know. I just, maybe uh, I, I like that. Maybe when he grows, like his brain gets bigger and more arrogant or something. Maybe. 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 Yeah, I don't know. Bring he, on well, Scott Lang. What we're going to find out later is he has super insecurity issues. And so <laughs> a lot of this is a front to like overcome that. But Of course. But that's not fun either. No. He's just neurotic. He used to be Batman, dang it. Batman with ants. Yeah, just a different animal theme, that's all. The Fantastic Four, number 53, if you're mm-hmm. ready. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, big explosion on the cover. We don't know what's exploding. We're going to find out it's a big red gorilla made a sound, but, you know, that's just whatever. <laughs> um, As it happens, yeah. The fabulous FF learned the secret of the Black Panther in The Way It Began. Having successfully evaded all the uncanny traps of the Black Panther, that's a lie. He beat them. The triumphant Fantastic Four, accompanied by Wyatt Wingfoot, are awarded a hero's ceremony. Mm-hmm. Script, Stan Lee. Art, Jack Kirby. Inks, Joe Sinnott. Lettering, Artie Simic. And Native Dances, the ballet Forbush Terpsichorean troupe. Oh boy. They're really doing the Forbush thing now, huh? Yeah, they really love Irving Forbush. Um, so Terpsichorean means related to dancing because Terpsichore was one of the nine muses, the Greek muses. Oh. So it's just one of those words that we have that no one ever uses. All right. So um, Black Panther and the Fantastic Four are up on a dais watching this big uh, dance ritual going on in front of them. Everyone's pretty into it, except for the thing who's like the biggest jerk throughout this entire (laughs) issue. And I just want to slap him, but I break my hand on his face. Uh, Every single thing that happens in here is like, I've seen this in jungle movies. Come on. Yeah. And I'm not going to talk about it for the rest of the recap. It's just, it's constantly there and I constantly hate it and whatever. Okay. So they're going along and, um, the, the, the four are, you know, continue to be mystified at the mixture of old cultural elements and newer cultural elements. Um, and they even like, you know, T'Challa breaks out a cigarette lighter and starts smoking. Like, I, I, I don't get it. So, um, all of their tribe or culture or people live under a tragic curse. And he decides to tell them the story about how that curse began. And it begins with T'Chaka, the warrior king. And we're going to find out more about that later because we change scene to a couple of randos walking through the jungle and they get started getting chased by this gigantic red ape who then turns into a gigantic red elephantine monster. And they're like, I don't know what this is, but we're going to run. Wakanda's this way. Let's go. And I don't think we ever see them again. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Black Panther is telling the story about how his father was this great hunter. He was the wisest in all of Africa. Um, and their culture, their fortune is from this a mound of virtually inexhaustible supply of vibranium. They basically have this metal mountain in their land that they mine and they sell vibranium to the outside cultures for resources. 
So um, he talks about growing up with his dad. T'Chaka was so awesome. He was a warrior. He was king. He was basically a god. But then this guy comes named Ulysses Claw. Actually, I don't think they call him Ulysses in this. They just call him Claw. Claw with a K. The Claw. And he, um, he wants the vibranium. So he brings all these men with guns and weapons to take the vibranium from the Wakandas. And uh, T'Chaka says no. And Claw says guns. And T'Challa sees his dad get shot down. So the Wakandas start fighting back. But a lot of them die because the white men have guns. Um, finally, T'Challa beats one of them down and takes one of their really big guns and uses it to shoot at the, uh, the attackers. He shoots Claw's hand with a gun in it, shoots the gun right out of his hand, but also totally shatters the bones in the guy's hand because it's a sound blaster. So the sonic waves like shattered the bones to dust in his hand. His hand's useless now. Um, so... Then they're like, and Claw left. And it's been 10 years, almost to the day. And I just feel it in my panther bones. He's going to come back any day now. And this time, I'm going to be ready. Oh my gosh, the alarm's going off. Claw's here. (laughs) So they go out. (laughs) Literally on the same page Uh as him saying claws gonna be any days anyways so giant um red animals outside the fantastic four go after him reed richards figures out that they're impossible these giant animals not only are seemingly impervious but they can also explode inside these waves of force and reed richards figures out it's because they're made of solid sound and was like, what does that even mean? How is it even possible? He's like, I don't know how it's possible. But they did call Claw the master of sound. So maybe that has nothing to do with it. So Black Panther uh, puts on his Black Panther suit and uh, chases down Claw, who's in a big lab with a big sound matter conversion doohickey. Uh, Black Panther fights Claw. Claw uses the sound matter doohickey to make it a, a, a panther... Uh, sound animal attack the Black Panther. Um, but I think, is it Reed or somebody like, maybe it's White Wingfoot. Somebody like breaks the power on the island. So the sound machine stops working and all of the animals that it generated disappear. And so it's just Black Panther and Claw down to hand-to-hand combat. But Claw, by the way, Claw no longer has his right hand. He now has like a... um uh, a speaker radar dish, a circular dish with a needle coming out to like, you know, send sound waves out. He has that now in his arm instead of a hand. Uh, they start fighting. Claw shoots his sound thingy at Black Panther, but blows up his own machinery. Black Panther escapes. The machinery explodes. The entire mountainside is built into, comes down on Claw. All the animals disappear, which I guess they didn't do that earlier, but I thought they did. Anyways, the Fantastic Four are like, hey, Black Panther, you did it. And uh, Black Panther's like, all right, I guess I don't have to be Black Panther anymore. I could just be King T'Challa. Like, no, no, no. Being a superhero is righteous and you should totally join 
this genre of adventuredom that we call superhero comic books. And T'Challa's like, I will. I'll use my powers to serve mankind. Like, see, you've already got the lingo down. Mm -hmm. So um, that basically wraps the story, except that Claw has somehow survived the uh, collapse, except he's buried in his lab. And for some insane reason, he jumps into the portal of his matter sound production thingy and it ends with him getting transmuted into a form we know not what. Yes, we do. But we do, because it's the future. Mm-hmm. It's going to be red. And pink. And pink. Yeah, more pink, I guess. First appearance of Claw. First appearance of Claw. What's your experience with Claw? Claw, to me, was the weird guy in Secret Wars who eventually is, yes! is possessed <laughs> by the Beyonder to trick Doom, or to assist right? Doom, and then it turned out it was really the Beyonder. And before that, he was just like insane, like mm-hmm. wandering through. And uh, there's this one part where he's just like wandering the halls and he's chanting and the tinted abulations of the bells, 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 and the ringing and the tinging of the bells. Whee! <laughs> right. So that's Claude. And I love that line. It's been in my head since I was 12. And then there's like a Mark Wade story of Cap Shield just crumbling for some reason. And it's because vibranium everywhere is having a problem. And then like somehow there's a magic solution and it involved Claw. But I really don't remember the plot because it seems silly. And it was mostly just okay. about him breaking his shield for five minutes. And what will he do without his shield? And then he fixed um, it. Yeah. We just watched Avengers Age of Ultron, the kids oh. and I did. Uh-huh. So perfect uh, serendipitous timing. Andy Serkis as Ulysses Claw was genius. Mm-hmm. He perfectly looks the part and acts the part that we yeah. get in this comic. Mm-hmm. And he loses great. his and, hand. And he loses his hand, which... If you never realize this, every Phase 2 movie has somebody lose a hand or an arm. Really? As an, as an homage to Star Wars Phase 2, Empire Strikes Back. Get out of here. Yep. What are From, some other... Winter Soldier has no arm. Uh-huh. Uh, what, I'm trying to think of other Phase 2 movies. I don't know. Thor, Thor's, Thor's arm gets chopped off as a fake out. Ant-Man? Uh, Yellow Jacket loses an arm. Ant-Man 2? Is that Phase 2 or Phase 3? No, that's, that's later. Okay. I don't know what uh, constitutes what phase two? two. Iron Man three. Um, oh yeah, Killian. That guy gets his yeah. Arm. Lots he of loses arms. An arm. Lots of arms missing in that one. Wow, that's crazy. Yup, yup, yup. Um, yeah, thing is racist. Uh, okay, so this challenged some ideas that I had about Black Panther or didn't have about Black Panther. I didn't know he was responsible for the wealth of his country, his civilization, whatever you call Wakanda. The vibranium was his choice. Well, he's the one who sold, like his dad was in the spear age still and getting killed by guns. And then he takes the gun of the modern white man and blows all the white men away. And then he says, yeah. And then I made a small fortune by selling vibranium to various scientific foundations. And that's why we now have, I'm the richest guy in the world. I so missed like, that point, but you are right because we we see huts mm-hmm. and, uh, and spears and shields, and, but not like energy wood- shields like. MCU, just shields. Fence barriers made out of, like, you know, trees piled on trees. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So that, I had not realized that either. Yeah. So he's the reason that it's all secret and underground and super wealthy and awesome and technologically advanced. And I feel like this gets changed a bit later, but Mm. it seems that the Black Panther as a mantle is just something he does. 
But I feel like later it becomes like the Black Panther is the mantle passed down from leader to leader. Absolutely, because I have read T'Chaka Black Panther stories. So right, that had to be a but thing. It, it, it now the, he does say that there's secrets passed down from his people, uh-huh. but I feel like that's like the herbs and the stuff that he can use to make himself enhance strength. The whole idea of like becoming a Black Panther, I feel like at this point in their minds is just T'Challa. But now that I'm thinking about it, the T'Chaka. Black Panther stories I've read were like flashbacks with Cap usually or something like that mm-hmm. and the Triangle Shield in World War II and T'Chaka trying to stop people from finding out about Wakanda. So it's like if Black Panther T'Challa is the one who made it all secret and rich and powerful, like what was T'Chaka doing? Just making sure no one stole their vibranium? But why did he care? I don't know. I don't know. It's a good question. That's a really good question. Yeah. Keeping themselves secret and unspoiled, because, I mean, let's face it, if you're an African culture, you've probably had some not-so-pleasant encounters with other cultures. So just keeping his people unattacked and un... You know... Yeah. Well, here's the other thing. Spoiled by the people. Vibranium, as of right now, including that Daredevil thing that had, like, the proto-vibranium... Uh, so far, it has nothing to do with being indestructible. It's all about vibrating, <laughs> I guess, and right. creating unique sound properties or something. And to me, I don't think of vibranium as being indestructible. And yet, I think it eventually becomes that as an idea. There's yeah. A, there's adamantium and there's vibranium, and they're not the same, but they're the same. I feel like its indestructibility is a natural extension of the idea that it absorbs kinetic force. Right. Because if it absorbs kinetic force, then how are you going to destroy it? Yeah. Yeah, I don't don't know. know. And that's like what they do in the MCU is they have his Black Panther outfit absorbing all this stuff and then exploding once in a while. Right. But then I think Cap's shield is supposed to be pure vibranium in the MCU, and that never explodes. So I don't know how that works. And in the comic, it's not either of those things. So just to be more confusing. I want to know what the hell they were thinking about Ben in this. They were thinking it's the 60s and there's a lot of quote unquote jungle movies. And maybe it's funny that he keeps bringing up the fact that this is a jungle story or something. I don't know. Yeah. I think they thought it was funny, but it just seemed really awkward. It's really awkward. And even after a while, like other people in the, in the group are like, Ben, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> yeah. Right. So I don't know. It's it's uh, weird. Yeah, he really handled it patiently, though. I gotta say, um, Johnny, you're right. They're not living, but I love that every beast that lives fears my flame. So he must not be alive. <laughs> it's like okay, there's that ego again. Yeah, that's weird. Anything that's not scared of you must be not alive. <laughs> right. The <laughs> Hulk is the Hulk is just a statue because he's super not scared of you. That is very, very egotistical logic. You are so correct. Presumptuous. Yeah. On the other arrogant. hand, he wasn't wrong, but still. Right. And sometimes you got to have a justification in the comics for why they can kill somebody. It just wasn't alive. I mean, Superboy killed Bizarro, flat out murdered him. Just saying, well, he wasn't really alive to begin with, right? I don't know. Did they do a courtroom measure of a man battle to see if he was living legally he alive first before he punched walked. his head off? talked exhibited emotions <laughs> fell in love with the girl right i mean every single <laughs> solitary thing you would expect from a sentient humanoid living being right bizarro was doing and surf boy said forget it kill him <laughs> well he ain't human yeah hey y'all out there 
Superman never kills, except for all the times that he does. All the time. Okay. Um, I really liked this issue. I mm-hmm. don't have a lot else to say about it. No, but it was cool. I even like how the ending is kind of like this weird cliffhanger that's not going to be resolved next issue or anything. But next time we see Claw, he's going to be different. Which is an interesting storytelling choice. Like, they uh-huh. explicitly, deliberately gave this guy a plot. Uh-huh. An extended plot. We're just not going to touch on it for a while. We'll, nope. we'll come back to Claw and the Black Panther later. Just, Someday. you know. Someday. Hold on. Hold your horses. Yep. That's good Kirby protracted storytelling. Yep. Yeah, it was okay. fun. Fun, fun stuff. Black Panther becoming Introduction Black of the Black Panther. But now we're moving on to what's probably the most important comic of the night. That's just an opinion, mind you. Mm-hmm. But I bet if we took a vote, it would win. Amazing Spider-Man number 39, another Marvel first, Spidey and the Green Goblin, both unmasked with one of the most iconic covers of all time that's been used yes. in so many flashbacks. Like, you can't even count. Someone should count. Mm-hmm. One of those Spidey chronology guys should count. Okay. How green was my... Ooh. It doesn't have the title on the cover either. That's unusual for this time of year. Haha, <laughs> get it? Okay. How green was my goblin? Attention, all web spinners. Be prepared for more startling surprise developments than you've ever seen in any single Spidey Spectacular before. We went out all out on this one. So buckle your seatbelts and away we go. Script, Smiling Stan Lee. Art, Jazzy John Ramita. Inks, Mighty Mickey DeMeo. And lettering, Adorable Artie Simek. So we start with the Green Goblin being mysterious again. His mask is on one of those dummies. Every time he's talking, there's something conveniently in front of his face. We don't know who he is. He's talking about... Uh, how much he hates Spider-Man, I guess. Sorry, uh, go ahead. Well, I'm trying to remember. I already forget this comic. Sorry. Um, oh, Spider-Man is Peter Parker, and he's got the sniffles. So he goes to the doctor, and they don't charge him a lot of money. And while they're there, the doctor's like, by the way, you'll be okay, but I meant to tell you that your aunt is really weak after that tr- you know, trial she had recently, and I think you probably shouldn't ever pop any balloons around her right now because she'll just up and die. And so, of course, now Peter's like freaking out, like no stress for Aunt May. Got it. Uh, We cut to the school where once again he's being mopey and they're all like, how come he's so antisocial? Harry's getting dropped off by his father and they have like terse words and that makes Harry sad. And Peter's like, you know, instead of being a jerk, maybe I'll say, hey, what's wrong, Harry? And Harry's like, ah, you know, it's just my dad. And then Peter's like, well, hey, at least you have a dad. I'm an orphan. And he's like, really? You're an orphan? Bonding. So, and while that that's happening, Gwen is watching and going, maybe Peter's not so bad after all. And even Flash is like, maybe Peter's not so bad after all, because he's trying to help, you know, uh, Harry. So... Then as Spider-Man, he's swinging around. That's what it was. The Green Goblin set up a plot. I forgot. So Spider-Man's swinging around. On the top of this roof, there's all these guys with guns, and they're holding people hostage. So Spider-Man attacks, and he's doing pretty good because they're all just humans. But at some point, one of them throws gas on him. And while this is happening, unbeknownst to him, the Green Goblin is watching from really, really, really far away with binoculars. Um, What the gas does that he doesn't realize is turn off his spider sense which the green goblin knows about somehow i can't remember why but he knows but spider-man doesn't feel any different he's just like okay 
that gas didn't do anything to me. You guys are idiots. And he knocks the rest of them out, and he swings away when the cops show up. He undresses in an alleyway. The Green Goblin watches the entire time, and he's thinking to himself, or the Spider-Man's thinking to himself, if anybody was watching me, my spider sense would go off. I don't feel it, so I guess I'm okay. Green Goblin is watching. Green Goblin follows Peter to the Daily Bugle. As Peter thinks about that mysterious gunman that once, you know, was in that window that almost killed that guy. I wonder whatever happened to that. Well, what happened to that is that guy is probably hovering around behind you right now. Um, He runs into Ned Leeds. They both ask how Betty's doing. Uh, Or no, they already did that in another issue. But they sort of like, Ned Ned was really mean last time he talked to him, and this time he's like nicer, and they're just like, yeah, I understand, you know, Betty, right? They're both like, yeah, Betty, right? And then Peter's like, well, you know, if you ever find her again, she's all yours, buddy. I'm kind of over it. And he leaves, and he sells J. Jonah Jameson some uh, uh, pictures, and then he's on his way home when he's confronted as Peter Parker by the Green Goblin on a jet, on his, you know, Goblin Glider. And Peter freaks out. He immediately instinctively tries to web shoot him, but he's not wearing his web shooters because he's Peter Parker. And the Green Goblin, like, uh, 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 you know, smogs him with his glider. Um, they get into a fight as Peter is Peter, but the entire time he's worried that, like, Aunt May is just inside, and if she hears something, this will startle her to death, just like the doctor said. So he's really trying to wrap up this fight as fast as possible, but it's not going well because he was caught by surprise, and he's not wearing any of his spider gear, so he's basically sort of, like, you know, uh, losing. And ultimately, since he also doesn't have his spider sense, the Green Goblin manages to razzle-dazzle his face, and then gas him, and then tie him up in a rope, and fly him away. And when Peter wakes up, he's in the Green Goblin's lab. And he's like, uh, you know, well, since I know who you are, you can know who I am. And he takes his Green Goblin mask off. And it is revealed that he is, dun, 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 Willie Lumpkin. I mean, Norman what? Osborn. Norman Osborn. Next issue, Spidey saves the day. Okay. So before we get into this issue, I feel like I should do a history corner that I've been kind of waiting until this moment to do. Before you do that, because I want you to do yes. that, because I can't remember what you told me about this already. But let me just tell you an impression I had as someone who's never read this before. Sure. This is really awesome in every way until that last panel and the reveal. And I suddenly realized he's never met Norman Osborn before and he barely knows Harry. Now, right. now tell your story because I'm just wondering if there's anything involving your story as to why there was this sudden rush all of a sudden to do this when they could have kept going and developed more. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 I see what you mean. Okay. So from a fan perspective, especially in the 60s where there's less communication, less information readily available, the readers see Steve Ditko leaves. Green Goblin is revealed to be Norman Osborn. And for some people, those two events get linked. And Stan Lee actually is recorded as having said some things that basically strengthen the idea that Steve Ditko left Marvel over an argument on how to handle the reveal of Norman Osborn. Now, A, that's a really silly reason to leave a company. But that aside... Mm-hmm. Um, it has, as we've learned more about the relationship between Stan and Steve, and really no one knows the relationship between Stan and Steve as well as Stan and Steve did. Um, everything else is just hearsay and outside opinions. 
but they had tense relationships for a long time. Um, the, the duration is usually given as one to two years before he left. Mm. They were not even speaking. Wow. Um, and so for whatever reason, political differences, cause they did have very different personalities. Um, for whatever reason, they did not get along. They did not click and Steve Ditko left Marvel over the divide. Uh-huh. Now, um, before he died, Steve Ditko did actually go on record. One of the things about Ditko is that he's a bit of a recluse. He didn't like being recorded, didn't like having his picture taken, um, which is why there are so, many, so few pictures of Steve Ditko. But he did go on record as saying at one point that um, the Green Goblin issue was definitely not why he left Marvel. So that hmm. the, that myth is, there's a pin in it, it's poked, it's deflated, it doesn't exist. Um, but it still gets said every now and then. So what we have here, and this may go to your other point, what we have here is Steve Ditko had... Okay, so here's the other thing about all of this. The fact that this is Norman Osborn as the Green Goblin is one of the most intricately plotted and planned reveals that I have ever seen in comics. The Norman Osborn, J. Jonah Jameson club scenes Mm -hmm. are in every single Green Goblin story except the first one. Mm-hmm. And they're only in Green Goblin stories. Mm. Norman Osborn is there. He's a character with the V, uh, the the Widow's Peak, uh, Tursi Roll hair. That <laughs> character appears in every one of those scenes. Uh-huh. And as soon as as soon as he becomes a named character with speaking lines related to Harry, Jonah reinforces, "Hey, this is the guy from the club." So as I've said, as we're doing this podcast on other previous issues. Steve Ditko had already done the nameless co- mask reveal. The idea that you take off the mask of the bad guy and no one knows who it is. Mm-hmm. He had already done that twice. Right. The The idea that he wanted to do it a third time and Stan's like, no, let's make it Harry Osborn's dad. No, doesn't make sense because this is planned. This is plotted. This is here. Mm-hmm. What Ditko wanted to do was introduce a character to be a friend of Peter Parker and then to have the bad guy turn out to be related to the friend. So that connection was what Ditko wanted to do. Now, the fact that it's being done now probably has to do with the fact that Ditko has left. Marvel, uh, Ramita is here to do Spider-Man. Ramita is not going to start doing Ramita plots until issue 41. Okay. First, he's going to do this two-part story dealing with the Green Goblin reveal, dealing with how it's all gone down, and all the intricacies of the plot we're going to find out next issue because it goes through a bit of a flashback sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. All that to say, the reveal of D- of Green Goblin as Roman Osborn was definitely Ditko's mystery. And if you know that, and you're reading it, and you're paying attention to it, it's really pretty freaking cool. Yeah. It's and it, it's coming to a head in issues thirty seven and thirty eight because thirty seven the um, the robot master gets shot by a rifle in the window. Peter goes out to the window, is like, or Spider Man goes to the window. Who shot him? We're high up. Nobody could have gotten into this window. Mm-hmm. How they get away so fast? And the Norman Osborn is holding the gun. Yeah. Issue thirty eight. He hates Spider Man. He's getting bad guys to go after Spider Man. He's not the Green Goblin. That issue. He's just Norman Osborn. Why is Norman Osborn doing that? And those two issues clinched the idea that this guy's the Green Goblin. Yeah. You just don't realize it, but it's there. Yeah, I feel like 
Anyway, I, I, I think I, said, I could go on, but I think I've said everything. I think that that was definitely the idea. I mean, I don't know what other idea Ditko could have had based on what we read. Mm-hmm. So that all makes sense. I just feel like I don't know if he would have done it this way. You see, he may have done more with Harry and Norman in the stories before revealing. You're right. I think it might have gone like, rushed. Oh, yeah. You only need maybe two or three more issues to get to know this face a little bit better before we reveal it. Mm-hmm. But um, I mean, because he even has Peter like connecting them by hair. Mm-hmm. Those features, that name. You're that Harry kid's dad, you know? So that was... Um, it's less of an awkward... You know, it's like traditionally, and I say that based on Jerry, or Tobey Maguire movies, I guess, it's much more awkward for Spider-Man to be fighting his best friend's evil father. And that does add some really good drama. And the, you know, Ditko's gone, but the later creators do play with that. Yeah, like Ultimate um, Spider-Man also, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, and he's only the first Green Goblin. There will be other Green Goblins, of course, and Hobgoblins, and Demon Goblins, and other other kinds of Goblins. Para-Goblins? I don't know. I just made that up. Okay. But yeah, <laughs> I was just really surprised that 39 happened. Like, I saw this cover coming up, and I was just like, wow, we're here already? Because I thought there'd be more build-up or something. But at right. the same time, I don't want to just bag on this, because it is a freaking stellar story and awesome. So, yeah. Uh, that was just my final thought based on the last panel. But like, oh, I love, 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 love the art. Well, let's talk about the art because uh-huh. um, I'm always amused when I hear it said that Ramita was trying to emulate Ditko in his approach because I don't see that no. at all. No. Well, what do you think? You have a better eye for art than I have. No, that's just what he said on that tape I watched or that video I watched. But I think now mm-hmm. that we've actually read these stories, I think maybe what he meant was he drew the – the Spider-Man lines like Ditko in Daredevil. <laughs> and then maybe mm-hmm. he just translated that to mean, maybe he forgot himself that he didn't really ape Ditko all that much. Cause his story is that he was trying to ape Ditko as much as possible because Ditko was going to come back. And it's like, I yeah. think he's remembering wrong because outside of that one Daredevil or the two part Daredevil where his Spider-Man's not quite Ramita, but all the other characters are, and now in this, even Spider-Man is very Ramita. I think the webs are his own version now. The eyes are his own version. The musculature, the color, it's full-on Ramita as far as I'm concerned. And the only way for all the stories to be true is if Ditko quit early. Like, mm-hmm. nailed out a couple of issues, turned him in, and walked out. Because mm-hmm. um, that way, Ramita can be brought on to... Or, Ramita can bring Spider-Man into Daredevil as a tryout to replace Ditko because they've already known Ditko's quitting. But also, he's doing Spider-Man like Ditko because what if Ditko doesn't stay quit? Mm-hmm. But then by the time it's time to start drawing 39 because we've got to make an issue, they're pretty much sure that Ditko's not coming back. Right. And, so you know, just doing to thing. be fair, 20, 30, 40 years later, maybe he just doesn't remember things correctly. Like and that's an, yeah I can't yeah. I can't tell perfect stories from twenty years ago in my life so I can't imagine anybody else can either you know you know how Swiss cheese has holes in it uh huh reverse that and that's my memory my right. memory is just the holes it's like I have I remember having feelings about things did I do those things I don't know <laughs> but you know not to make it a versus because I love me the Ditko too but like if you have to have a camp it seems like you're either going to be in the Ditko or the Ramita camp when it comes to iconic Spider-Man mm-hmm. and uh, I think I'm a Ramita guy 
only because when I first started reading Spider-Man, it was like Ron Friends, and he was very Ramita-like. Uh, mm-hmm. All the puzzles, like we had puzzles and I don't know, any sort of Spider-Man related thing we had when I was growing up was all Ramita, 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 or Ramita inspired, you know, Ross Andrew or guys like that, that just totally draw Spider-Man like Ramita. And then you have like kind of a real reawakening of the Ditko with like McFarlane coming along and going, no, remember he was skinnier with lots more webs and stuff. And suddenly it's like, oh yeah, Ditko was pretty awesome. And he was. But this just this just feels very at home to me. I don't know. I like this style. As an update and a more mainstream, acceptable look to the character. Mm-hmm. As uh, a soap opera with romance and girls mm-hmm. and re- uh, relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely prefer Ramita. Mm-hmm. Um, as a pathos and angst and the actual plots being told mm-hmm. i prefer ditko yeah i prefer ditko's stories and plots over ramita's stories and plots but i like the subplots of ramita's era more than ditko's if that makes sense yeah well he's a soap opera guy so yeah yes gonna be some drama um there's a newspaper on the front page daily bugle spider-man's identity still a mystery <laughs> what a headline and in Gotham City, water is still wet. <laughs> <laughs> Do, does uh, the Green Goblin and Red Skull shop at the same emote mask factory? Oh, yeah. Because how do these work? I was reading this to Keenan, and he's like, you kind of think Spidey's really freaking out by this guy <laughs> who's talking to him with a rubber mask that's not moving. But it is moving. And the, and I, I, right. In the comic, it is. But I'm thinking like, Michael Myers Halloween. He's just got that mask on, only it's a goblin mask. He's just like talking behind it and it's just like hanging there being a goblin mask. And I'm just like, okay, that's freaky, tiki, scary. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for the most part, his expression's the same. So maybe you could argue that it isn't moving. It's just a constant smile. But every so often, like page 19, he's grimacing. And even on the last page with the reveal, uh, He's shouting and he looks mad. You know, you're talking about Ramita versus Ditko, and Ramita uses Ditko's uh, imagery in the Green Goblin lab at the beginning. Mm-hmm. That second panel is a straight up redraw of a Ditko panel with the mirror and the mask hanging on the thingy. Oh, yeah. It's just like a nice bit of like carryover to feel the continuity, you know? Uh huh. His, his, his pension for putting things in front of his face so we can't see him. Right, right. By the way, anybody anybody out there listening not know who the Green Goblin was? Because we did keep it a secret for you. If we've you gotten exist. compliments for that and some laughter in the in the feedback that we haven't read yet. Um, I'm pretty sure that's not possible, but you never know. Right. I just thought it would be, you know, we're both sort of at the same time. I was like, what if we just never said? Yeah. Um, that's cool. And, we, and also at the beginning, since they're still not revealing it, you don't exactly know what they're going to do to reveal it because like, they're still not showing us who it is. So instead of showing mm. us that the master planner is Dr. Octopus on the second page without yeah. any drama whatsoever, right? they're like, oh, yeah, you want to know the Green Goblins? You've got to read every page, Wakanda. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I just called them Wakanda. Um, and that they, was weird. They, they throw in a bit of Norman being a jerk to Harry again, which he's already mm-hmm. done. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, Ramita, Ramita Parker is much nicer than Ditko Parker. That's all I have to say, I guess. Ramita Parker is nicer. He immediately starts to bend a bond with Harry. Mm-hmm. Um, Gwen is like, oh, okay. So, yeah, a lot of the enmity starts to wear off pretty darn quick. 
Now, not to keep beating a dead horse, but maybe Romita was thinking that he drew Gwen more Ditko-like because I know he's not going to draw Gwen like this forever. No, he, he continues to modify Gwen. I mean, there's an immediate notice, an immediate shift in her look. Yes, yeah, she's softer now. Right. But she still has those striking, judgy eye, eyebrows, you know? They're not quite as stark. They're more, Not quite. They're more natural. But he is going to put a ribbon or band in her hair and turn her into the ultimate girl next door at some point. Yeah. And that hasn't and, happened yet. You know, I, I have some opinions on the, the idolization, the idealization, both of those, on of Gwen Stacy. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I think Marvel's really solidifies just how much of a pedestal Gwen Stacy is on in the Mm -hmm. memories of fans. Yeah, that's Um, true. But, you know, they do a lot to really put her into that camp. So we'll have to see how it goes as we go through the stories. That could just be human nature in general when it comes to premature death. Because you ever notice, like, you know, the top 10 greatest rock and roll guitar players of all time, the number one guy is going to be dead, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or, Or even, like, in comics, like, you know... I grew up reading Wally West, but I really was like, wow, Barry Allen sure is a hero because he died and that's awesome and he's great and amazing. But then you read Silver Age Flash and it's like, oh, okay. He's just a guy. It's a guy. It's a superhero. He's got problems too. I don't know. And you, you can see how Wally West as a young guy growing into an older guy would look up to him and like sure. revere him. Mm-hmm. And so really you're not revering Barry Allen. You're revering Wally West's Wally memory West. of Barry Allen. Right. Is the rose-colored glasses. Um, Peter comes out of a supply closet. Yes. And A, obvious nod to Clark coming out of the storeroom. Mm -hmm. B, why does the supply closet have a window? I don't know, but that's a very Tobey Maguire move, too. Like, I don't know. Somehow that happens. Is that a New York thing? Closets have windows? Do they? I don't know. It was funny. It was funny. It was definitely funny. It was just a little bit of a logic fail. And I like the guy scratching his head. I was here the whole time. I didn't see him go in. What, what yeah. how the heck? That was fun. Yeah. And I, I yeah, it was a Tobey Maguire thing. And I'm, I'm sure they were thinking of this exact scene when they did that. Totally. It was said before, Tobey Maguire is the most, the first Spider-Man film is the most classic Spider-Man comics representation yes. that we've ever gotten. Yeah, absolutely. Um, did you think about, did you think cynically about how like Peter's just going to the doctor and no problems, even though he's Mr. I never have money guy. I did not think about that. I heard your doesn't charge you very much money line. I was like, okay, but you're right. They never have any money. He's just going to the doctor. I mean, he ha- he's a he's a freelancer, so he has no medical, if they even did that right. in 1960, whatever, but whatever. And would just the doctor even feel the need to charge him for a quick, you know, finals know. check? Yeah, I don't know. But Aunt May was just in that hospital for six issues or something. So aren't they in debt forever at this point? I would think so. Well, A, costs weren't as high because a mm-hmm. lot of the really exa- extreme medical costs are to help pay for all the really extreme things by the medical industry. But yeah, mm-hmm. he still owes a lot of money from that. So it's kind of crazy. He just goes in and, I yeah. have a cold. Oh, yeah. yep. You have a cold. <laughs> Suck it up. Yeah. Take some vitamins. We can't afford it. Aunt okay. May is literally about to fall to dust, though. Yes. Well, that, you, that was a nice setup. It's like, you know, we're going to have a fight in front of Matt May's house later, so let's make sure we're really worried about her. Right. And one thing that they've done before that I feel was a little bit of a fake out here is they've often used Peter getting sick as, like, an excuse for him to lose a fight. Uh-huh. And they don't use that. They abandon the cold halfway through this issue. I'm feeling better now. 
Well, they don't abandon the part where instead of saying IT, he says ID, the entire issue. Mm-hmm. It, id, and I totally forgot at some point that he had a cold. So I kept going like, why does he keep talking about the id? Id? Is that like a, <laughs> is that like a 60s thing? He just keeps bringing up id. What? And then I finally remembered, oh, they're just doing the German spelling thing. Yeah. He's talking with on stuff nose. Can't really say yeah. stuff. Yeah. Anyway, so that was a little confusing, but that was my fault, I guess. I just forgot. Page five, Ramita is much better at drawing black people to look like black people instead of like white people colored gray. Mm-hmm. It's just, and it's not to say he's caricaturizing it. I feel like it's just, you know, non-Caucasian features. You got to know what the differences in people's faces look like. And he's, he's, yeah. he's better at that than Dicko was, I think. Yeah. But I really like this page five and six scene where Peter like, because Harry like snaps at him. And so he could easily just snap back, but he doesn't. And he asks him how he is. And then Gwen's impressed by that. And I like even more that Flash is impressed by that. And then part of me is like, that is kind of a different Peter character than we've got. Because Peter has been kind of a jerkhead himself for the most he part. He really can be. And like in his own issues, you're often made to be at least a little bit sympathetic for him. But whenever he's doing that in other people's comics, you're seeing it from their perspective and you don't get the sympathy. So mm-hmm. Peter Parker is just a jerk sometimes. And yep. I mean, he means well, but he doesn't come off well. No. Uh, um, how? Like Gwen's, oh, go ahead. Gwen's thought balloon. If Peter Parker becomes one of our crowd, that will be just wonderful for me. For me. Yeah. Even a pause for me. That's like Dr. Yeah. Doom thinking right there. Have you been to the top of the Empire State Building? I have not. Is it's, it awesome? Yeah, it, it's pretty cool. They don't say that this is what this is, and it's possible that it's not. But having been there, it's basically yeah. this. You can see it. It's not really it. It's a studio set to made to look, to look like it, but it does a good job. Um, in that one Doctor Who story, the Daleks, uh-huh. um, the Daleks master pl- no with the no, pigs the and chase. all that. It's the chase. Uh huh. Classic Doctor Who. Oh, classic. I don't know. Yeah, the chase. Uh They land on um, the top of the Empire State Building. Uh, Peter Purvis, who goes on to become Stephen, he's there as a hick farmer from out of town in um, New York City, and he's the Mm. only one who sees the Daleks and the Doctor. And anyways, it's it's a comedic scene, but they do a pretty good job. Is there any Empire State Building in Star Trek? Because that's what we're supposed to reference. Star Trek and across. I can't think of any. I can't either. We'll have to research that one. Someone's going to write in. Of course, there are Deep Space Nine, episode 65. Are you the one I was talking to where when I realized that like Star Trek doesn't come back to the present day very often? Just in time travel every once in a while, yeah. Star like Trek origi- doesn't the- come to Earth very often. Right, but the original series comes to present day Earth like three times. Uh-huh. And I don't think they ever come back to present day today Earth again. No, because Deep Space Nine went to a different, like a less futury future. Right. Or the 60s. And Star uh, Trek for the Voyage Home is very famously the present day. Oh, I think yeah. that's the last time they did it, and that's the original mm-hmm. series thing. Mm-hmm. Anyways. But important. they don't come to Earth, so there's not going to be any Empire State Building. They, they live in space. They do live in space. All right, so I kind of, like, I don't know if this ever actually happened, but I... When did Green Goblin figure out that Spider-Man had a spider sense? Is it because he talks about it too much? I was thinking about that too. And it may be because he talks about it. There may have been something about the crime master fight that kind of twigged him to it. Uh-huh. Um, 
I didn't go back and look to see if it was explicitly said, but the idea yeah. that he has some sort of forewarning thing. He, he shouldn't say that out loud. Right. Now, Chameleon knew about it in the very first issue and tuned uh, into it as a radio frequency. Right. So Green Goblin is not the first guy to say, oh, he's got a spider sense. And, you know, to be fair, he is not secretive about it. He has bragged about that during fights many times mm-hmm. when, he, when he talks about how great his strength is, how fast he is. He will often say, this is an easy fight when one has a, you know, pre-warning. Precognitive abilities of a yeah. spider. Like he says that out loud and I'm just like, Spider-Man, do you see Daredevil talking about how blind he is? Because, right. you know, you just don't want to do that. And here's why. So, by the it, way, first time someone turned his power against him, kind of. Right. And yeah. dulled his spider sense. I mean, that's Venom's and the symbiote's thing is to not react yeah. to spider sense. So Green Goblin pulls that trick here. Yeah. 30 years before Venom. Worked. He didn't even look around with his eyeballs. How long were those guys waiting on the top of the Empire State Building? And what if Spidey didn't swing by that day? Right. The FF come by and go, hey, let's take care of this. Right. They're they're already holding the people hostage when Spidey <laughs> sees them. <laughs> so how, how long was that going? <laughs> I think they're like, what do you want? Just tell us what you want. Hold on. Hold on. We'll get to it in a minute. <laughs> Um, I feel like even though his spider sense is deadened, mm-hmm. it's almost like it's, uh, it's trying to react and he can feel it trying to react because mm-hmm. he is constantly like, I feel like somebody's watching me, but no, if somebody were watching me, I'd feel my spider sense. But I really do feel like it's like not the itchy spider sense feeling, but something underneath the skin that's still there, you know? Well, he's a man of action. So if this was Batman or... I don't know, Captain America walking around and they said, I feel like someone's watching me. We'd say, oh, well, these guys are used to villainous people doing bad things to them. True. So they're aware. So maybe just that's just a natural human instinct on his part. Action or is his, his one. Maybe it's that giant goblin shadow that's streaking across the building while he's walking. <laughs> you got to think that like Norman was like paying attention to sun angles, making sure his shadow didn't fall. <laughs> well, what if Peter sees that and goes, well... I should be worried, but I don't feel my spider sense. So I guess there's nothing and it just keeps going. Um, they recap that um, Green Goblin or Norman definitely didn't kill, but did kill the robot master guy. Yep. Still a confusing scene, even in the recap. Yeah. Uh, what do you think Ned? of this Ned scene? Well, it was cool. Like, I kind of like seeing Ned's true colors, but then again, maybe those weren't his true colors. Maybe he just had a moment and these are more his true colors. Yeah. For now. For now. I know that's not true forever. Well, it's just uh, another, it's, it's another in the series of I'm sorry's, you know, it's like, oh, uh-huh. we, we, can be, we can be friends now. We know how to behave. We have we have a lot of talking about Betty without any Betty. She's been gone for a while now. And it's like, have they done that in any other comic that we've covered? Like talk about somebody that just isn't around anymore. Mm, I you can't know? think of it. Yeah. Yeah. Except for Thor and Jane Foster. Yeah, that's true. He laments about her all the time, doesn't he? When she, whether she's in the comic or not. Um, I don't know if it's all superheroes or just Spider-Man, but I love, love, love watching Peter Parker be Spider-Man as Peter Parker. I don't know why. Yeah. Always been a thing for me. So this entire- It's kind of like Clark doing Superman stuff. Yeah. So this like entire last fight where the entire fight is Peter Parker. All the only Spider-Man you see is like a little bit on the chest where his buttons have popped open, but it's like all Peter doing Spider-Man stuff. And it's really cool. Um, I feel like it's worth mentioning- uh, the conversation we had on Twitter with our friend Donovan about the moment on the bottom of page 15 where Peter and Green Goblin face off 
Uh-huh. Green Goblin says, I found out that you're Spider-Man. And we don't see Peter's face there. We see Green Goblin mm-hmm. when he says, you are Spider-Man. And mm-hmm. Donna was like, I wish we had seen Peter's face whenever it, like, when that moment is spoken, we should be looking at Peter, not at the Green Goblin. What do you think about that? They could have done it different. Like, I think nowadays they would have had the reveal on the next page for starters. Mm-hmm. So, like, there'd be this no need to go inside, Parker. I'll just have to go after you and drag you out again. And then he's like, that voice. Like, right there should be his big, giant panic face, and it's not super panicked. And then the next page could be, like, a whole half page of the Green Goblin hovering over him with him being startled or something. Right. But yeah, I don't. It's hard to it's hard to show both faces at the same time. But that's a cover problem for you. It is. It is. Um, I, I and, feel like the next. I feel like the next panel. The next couple panels are pretty good. Panicked faces, though. We definitely get some good Peter Parker um, emotion, riled up, angst, mm-hmm. despair. Mm-hmm. Uh, the faces that Romita does with this are really fantastic. Uh-huh. Even, uh huh. Even even Aunt May's worry at the top uh-huh. of seventeen. Uh, poor, poor Peter, out there alone on such a dark, fog-shrouded evening. I, I, I do wish he were home. He's well, he's a frail young man. And I don't know why she's Colonel Sanders now, but... I, I was uh. trying to go for... Uh, um, who's the guy from It's a Wonderful Life? Oh, God. Uh, George Bailey. Yeah, who's the actor? Uh, Jimmy Stewart. Yeah, I was going for a Jimmy Stewart. So she's de-aged like 50 years. She does immediately look younger, doesn't she? Yeah, because he liked to make... Like, for one thing, she has eyeballs now. I don't think Ditko ever gave her eyeballs. <laughs> she just had those, like, lines of old people, shorthand or something. She she occasionally had eyes, especially on close-ups. Mm. But, yeah, she definitely looks um, not quite as mummified. Mm-hmm. That's not a which, word. Which is probably good because she's going to be around another 30, 40 years. At least. Still too old to be an aunt, but that's okay. We figured um, that out already. Do you think MJ is watching through the window? As all this she, is happening outside. She would have to be, right? I mean, she's, or, if she's visiting her aunt. Or at least watching the smoke like Aunt May is. Right. I don't know. I mean, Has she ever referenced this fight? I don't remember if the... Because there's one point. I think it might be the Parallel Lies graphic novel, or it might be the uh, Alien Saga costumes conversation they have, uh-huh. um, where they kind of recap a lot of her early days. I don't remember if they mentioned this or not. Well, you would think if she was there, she'd mention it once or twice, because this would be horrifying for her to see Peter kidnapped and taken away. Well, yeah, I kind of feel like there's probably a lot of people on the block who can see what's going on. Maybe they can't see it well enough to be, oh, that's Peter Parker. Yeah. Well, he did all this black smoke right in the beginning, which was pretty convenient. So like, yeah, but- when she looks out the window, it's all black smoke. And when they're fighting on page 18, the whole bottom half of the thing is black smoke. So it's black smoke right outside at May's window, but what about like the rest of the block looking over? I don't know. And then when he like flies away, they should see him too. But maybe mm-hmm. he flies so fast that they just don't know what he has. I don't know. Yeah, I do like that the ghosts are back. Um, I do like the continuity callback on page nineteen. Um, what does he say? Blah blah blah. I didn't write down the panel number because I was reading this on the screen. Oh, yeah. It was with uh, Trinket, the asphyxiation grenade, that I once stopped the human torch himself cold in his tracks. Mm. I'm like, oh, somebody's been reading his comics. Yeah. Yeah, that was cool. And once again, once again, there's not enough time. So let's tell a story. (laughs) Why? Yeah, I guess he uh, reveals himself because he's nuts. Yeah, he's like, I might be able to break these bonds. If I have enough time, 
but will he oh. give me enough time? And so he's like, yeah. But but Norman Osborn definitely is kind of nuts because he uh, he's like oh. sweating from the brow there. He says, if you never uh, if you'll never live to betray me. So he's just assuming he's going to die. Yeah. Peter's going to die. So, yeah. Great, Land great, Mark great issue. issue. So speaking of good issues. So we talk about all the good issues we've been talking about because that's the end of May. That is the end of May. So, gosh, I wonder what we're going to pick for the best issue. Um, I actually have a problem with this, though, so yeah. I really am wondering. <laughs> it's not as cut and dry no. as one might think. No. So, Daredevil 18 with the Gladiator mm-hmm. and um, Foggy being, oh my gosh, uh, Foggy. Uh, yeah. Then we have Thor 130, Thunder in the Netherworld. And this is where uh, Thor fights and wins for Hercules. Mm-hmm. So the Hercules doesn't have to do um, Pluto's job, but uh-huh. Pluto has to do Pluto's job. And that's also work. bad. So whatever. Yeah. The X-Men 22, where it's the X-Men versus Count Nefaria's Strange Tales gang. Because mm-hmm. that happened. Sergeant Fury 32, a traitor in our midst, where they have hypnotized. Izzy or whatever. That's right. They hypnotized Izzy. That's a good issue. Um, okay. Stra- Tales of Suspense, 80. So we've got Captain America finding out the Red Skull's alive, and AIM brings him the Cosmic Cube. And at the same time, Iron Man is fighting Submariner until the next issue. Tales to Astonish, 82, where Submariner is fighting Iron Man. And then in the Hulk issue, the uh, battle cry of Boomerang. So Boomerang shows up, kidnaps Betty, and it ends with um, Boomerang running off and Hulk and Betty alone together for the first time since the whole crazy saga started. And then we get into the uh, territory we covered in this episode, Strange Tales 147 with Nick Fury versus AIM and Doctor Strange not able to go shopping. Um, the Avengers 30, Frenzy in a Far-Off Land, Goliath goes after the Keepers of the Flame, and um, Black Widow does the stuff with uh, Power Man and the, what's it called, Swordsman. Mm-hmm. Fantastic Four 53, Claw Black Panther, Amazing Spider-Man 39, Reveal of the Green Goblin. And damn it if there aren't like four or five that I really want to give first place. <laughs> oh, really? I'm just down to two. Uh which two are you arguing between? Well, Spider-Man, horribly significant. But Captain America, also horribly significant. Right. So so both significant for those respective characters. And it's just like, ugh, I don't know. I really don't know. And Fantastic Four is also pretty – I mean, this isn't the first Black Panther story because that was last issue. But this is like the origin of the Black Panther, which also feels really oh, important. Yeah, that is true. Um, Daredevil is like one of my favorite villains coming into play for the first time. Uh, Sergeant Fury is a really good story. And if, I mean, we don't give him the credit he's due so much because this is not the same superhero action we're used to, but it's, it was a solid issue. Yeah, but he can't compete this week. That's the problem. Yeah, he, like, he can't. Uh, like if this was a different week, maybe he'd have a chance. Um, uh, and I really liked, uh, I really liked Shield versus AIM. Yeah. Yeah, that was good, too. And most of the Avengers I really liked. And, you know, like you – I mean, Submariner and Iron Man was great, both parts. But like you said, it also kind of was inconsequential, so. Um, Thor versus Hercule, uh, versus Pluto, 
solid, solid fight, but I feel yeah. like it just uh, is kind of same old for Thor at this point. Well, I mean, I do like neither Hercules, but he didn't have a lot to do with that issue. No, he didn't. So the and everything about the X Men issue that wasn't focused on the bad guys, which is a small portion of that issue, but I liked it. All right, so for my bad, I'm going to pick X Men, and honestly, it's mostly just because all the rest of it is just even better. Because usually I pick X Men because I can't stand something about it, but this wasn't that mm-hmm. bad. It wasn't that bad. It just wasn't good as good as the rest of them. So X Men on that one. That was kind of easy. Okay. I can't do good yet. It's too hard. So here's my problem. I feel like Amazing Spider-Man is probably more significant than Red Skull and Cosmic Cube. And I feel like it's maybe even a better story. And it has John Romita's first Spider-Man. But my bias is towards Captain America. So Yeah. So it's like that's kind of leveling it out. Uh, it's a solid Captain America chapter. It's very solid. And it's very important because Red Skull Cosmic Cube is a huge you know, mythological deal for Captain America. You like to avoid giving it to Cap, but I keep telling you, give it to Cap when you All like right. the Cap. All right, I'm going to give it to Cap. TOS number 80 is the only thing that could beat Amazing Spider-Man 39. Okay, so as awesome as Amazing Spider-Man 39 is, the reason why I'm not automatically giving it is um, I feel like the fighting on the Empire State Building is a bit nonsensical. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of talking and just it kind of goes on a little bit too long. Uh-huh. Um so it's not like it's like a perfect issue or anything, but it is good and it is a lot, but it's just, there is also a lot of really good. So uh-huh. I feel like giving it to Spider-Man is the easy choice. It's yeah. easy to say, I really enjoyed Spider-Man, but that's not to say I didn't enjoy a lot of other stuff. And I really mm-hmm. want to give it to Daredevil. Daredevil is awesome. This, I mean, Foggy is <laughs> goofy, but it made for good reading, you know? Yeah. Are you really going to let Gladiator beat? Green Goblin. At least for me, it was Red Skull with a cosmic cube beating Green Goblin. My conscience would never forgive me if I did. If I don't say Spider Man this month, (laughs) what kind of a fan am I? This is issue thirty nine. I mean, just the cover alone is. But there. But okay, I'm going to say Spider Man. But it's not just because it's always Spider Man. It's just like there's so much going on this month, and it's all really good. I know. Um, Why does that always happen? It's always either really good or everything's really bad. It's weird. And you said cap. I said cap. Now, I am tempted to give it to the X-Men. For bad? For bad. Yeah. But it's like you said, it's not just because it's bad. It's just because it's not great. It's not as great as the other, other ones, yeah. And honestly, for not greatness, I'm also tempted to give it to Submariner versus Iron Man. But see, I... I think the art, especially the Gene Colan parts, was better than X Men, mm-hmm. and I think the read was less painful because X Men is also very wordy right now. Right, and, and this is very much our enjoyment of reading the issue. That's really what I'm trying for us to rank here: is mm-hmm. did what was our highest, uh, you know, adrenaline factor in reading a story? Mm-hmm. Uh, not adrenaline, endorphin factor, mm-hmm. um, or lowest in this case. So. Um, I'm not going to say Doctor Strange. Am I going to say the X-Men? I'm almost tempted to say Thor just because I'm like, I didn't dislike Thor, but I didn't love it. It wasn't that fun. It was okay. Yeah. I should have written this down again. Last month I came prepared. This month I'm, I'm, I'm always the one holding up the, uh, the microphone at the end here too. Ah, Oh, Hulk was good this month too with the boomerang. 
Mm, yeah. Mm. I mean, mm. if you want an argument, X-Men are once again not fighting mutants. And it's rejects from tale, or Strange Tales. So is that super exciting? Or what about the Namor issue that's not actually Namor at all? It's just Iron Man. <laughs> but it was good Iron Man. And it was a first crossover. Yeah, I can't say my least favorite thing was the first crossover because that was really important. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm giving to the X Men once again with the caveat: I didn't hate anything this month. No. I liked everything this month. Yeah, me too. It all. Uh, had I think good. it all had good. We didn't even talk about Avengers. That was good too. Yeah, yeah. But if they, if, if in the end there can be only one, then this month that one is the X Men. Yep. So we picked our favorites this month. Total bias. Whatever. Mm-hmm. It's our show. We can do what we want. Yep. Okay. Either well, that that's or I'll that. pick Spider-Man and you pick Cap, and either way it gets the same amount of votes. <laughs> okay. Uh, they probably want homework, right? Yeah. A really All long right. month next month, people. Brace yourselves. Um, well, I was going to consider the, still the that last week to be lumped in with, the, with, with July. Okay. To me, the June 30th books, they're the first week of July books, just not quite in the calendar month of July. Okay. But, um, but next episode, we're starting June. With Daredevil 19, Tales to Astonish 83, The X-Men 23, and Thor 131. Those are all of the first week books from next month. We're covering those next week. So, yeah, do some reading. Be back next week. And in the meantime, if they want to tell us how awesome these comics are or how awesome we are, where can they go? Where can they find us? They can go to makeoursmarvel.com. There will be a contact form there, or you could just write podcast at makeoursmarvel.com. But while you're on the website, there's also links to the RSS feeds and to various, you know, more popular apps. And there's also links to our social media, social media on Facebook and Twitter. So you can join the fun there too. You can find Mike on Twitter if you want to at Kaiser the Great. You can find me on Twitter if you want to at John Reads Comics. Um, I also have other podcasts. If you feel like listening to more podcasts about comics, uh, if you like image comics, early 90s stuff, that's all the pouches at all the pouches. If you like giant robotic super robot life form transformers um, that I'm talking about, their uh, comics and cartoons over at Return to Cybertron, which is at TFUK Podcast on Twitter. Um, those are both available on your podcatchers. And yeah, we'll be back next week to talk about more superhero goodness. Is there anything yeah. else we can say this time? I think that's good. All right. So until next time, or until the Black Panther joins the Fantastic Four, make ours marvel. marvel.